So we are again in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, the end of the chapter, where the Apostle Paul is looking at that momentous event, the second coming of Jesus Christ. So what we're doing this evening is finishing the sermon uh, that was preached uh, a few Sundays ago. Uh, There are four points. We've looked at two. Let's read uh, verse... 14 to the end of the chapter. 1 Thessalonians 4, 14. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus, those who've died. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep, those who've died. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall be I don't think the authorised, the New King James is as good as the authorised. The New King James, and we shall always be with the Lord? No, forever with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. May we comfort one another this evening as we finish uh, the message, and then we will go to communion. So that momentous event... Isn't it sad that the church doesn't seem to be talking about it? The most momentous events that this universe is going to face, along with death, the only other certainty in life. And yet often, our pulpits are silent, and we don't seem to talk that much about it. It's one of the observations of believers in other countries, especially countries where God is powerfully at work today, when they come over here, they say, you Christians in the West don't seem to be talking much about the return of Jesus Christ. Maybe in our circle, we have a right emphasis on spiritual visitations, revivals, But there's something even better than that. Even if we don't have another revival in our lifetime, there is something even better ahead of us. The physical visit of Jesus Christ. It's like that uh, Christian uh, journalist who interviewed Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones shortly before his death and asked him, uh, were were you disappointed uh, that you never witnessed revival in your lifetime when you get to heaven will you be disappointed in that and he said of course not (laughs) we we will have greater visions in glory so we've already looked at two things the two points of the last sermon what will happen on that great and awesome day of the lord the most important thing is the return of christ Everything else is, as it were, bottom on the agenda. Top item 
he's coming back. That's why I uh, don't get uh, encouraged about times and dates and all the charts some people have trying to predict uh, when Jesus will return in terms of world events. That shouldn't be the thing that excites us. We'll get to that in chapter 5. The focus is that he's coming. He's coming. So it doesn't matter whether you're pre-millennial, post-millennial, a-millennial, or some of the other isms. Are you looking forward to his return? So that's the first point. Then secondly, there will be a resurrection. Not just for believers, but for everybody. You can't cancel your subscription to the resurrection. But for us as believers, that's what we're concentrating on, there will be a glorious resurrected body. Are you looking forward to that? As you come here maybe with a dodgy joints, with arthritic pain, one day you won't have those. You'll have a new glorious body like Jesus after he was raised from life. Isn't that encouraging? Now, we're going to look at the third aspect of that momentous event. And this is the most controversial. It's another R. Can anybody guess what it is? It's appeared in some of our hymns today. Rapture. Rapture. Now, whenever you hear the word rapture, well, whenever I hear it, I get the eebie-jeebies. Because to begin with, there are so many different views, especially in dispensationalism, as to what the rapture is. There is a secret rapture. There is a more public rapture. There is a pre-tribulation rapture. There's a post-tribulation rapture. And by that point, I've already given up. Now, let me say this. Some of the most spiritual people... I met in Bible college, students from Asia, they held to a dispensational view of the rapture. And so even though I'm going to teach tonight that there isn't that in this passage, I still hold in high esteem those who have different views on these things. They look forward to Jesus' return far more than... Uh, those of us who have different views of the rapture. But what comes to your mind when you hear the word rapture? Maybe in America, it has become even more controversial, as these things tend to be over there, uh, because of a series called Left Behind. Has anybody read the books Left Behind or seen the movies Left Behind? behind. It's not something I think we sell in our bookshop. And the premise behind uh, these books and TV series is you use the rapture to evangelize. How does that work, you ask? Well, it goes something like this. Imagine you're on a flight and you're not a believer, but the two pilots are believers and they are raptured. They suddenly disappear. That must be a secret rapture because they're meeting the Lord in the air. What's going to happen to the plane now? Well, it's going to crash. So do you see what you must do? You must believe in Jesus Christ. 
Because you don't want to be in a plane where the pilots are believers, and if they're going to be raptured, you'll be dead. Well, I don't come across rapture evangelism in the New Testament. And you can even watch spoofs done by evangelicals of Left Behind. So what is this rapture? Well, it comes from verse 17. We who are still here, so the left behind is not the unbelievers, uh, those left behind on the plane when the Christian pilots are raptured. Those who are left behind are the believers. Those who are still alive when Jesus returns. So what's going to happen to them? Those who are alive and remain, and this is where the word rapture comes from, shall be caught up, that's it, caught up together with the Lord in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. The Latin translation, the Vulgate, the word rapture comes from the Latin rapio. It doesn't refer to rap, but to being... uh, Taken. Uh, the Greek word is harpazo, and it's uh, caught up. It's uh, used uh, of uh, John the Baptist when he was talking about taking the kingdom by force. There is uh, violence in it. Or uh, the same word is used in Acts 8 when we're told that Philip was taken away. He was torn away from the Ethiopian eunuch after witnessing to him. So that's the meaning of the word. The word rapture is never used, interestingly. So what can we say on this point? Well, to put it as simple as possible, when Jesus Christ returns with the retinue of his saints, when the saints come marching in, those who are still left behind, believers, are going to be raptured. They are going to be caught up to meet the Lord in the air. Uh, Think of the force here. Think of the gravitational pull of the earth. That's strong, isn't it? But there's going to be a force greater than the gravitational pull of the earth. And that is the force of Jesus Christ. We will be taken. This is how John MacArthur put it. He's very good on this. A strong, irresistible, even violent act. It is when living believers are caught up so that they are transformed and they receive their glorified bodies. That force. Are you looking forward to that? The hymn we just sung, when all the skies will fill with rapture. What do you take for rapture there? I always imagine when I'm singing that hymn, the skies, not a private rapture, but public. The skies filled with believers suddenly taken up to meet Jesus Christ. It's amazing, isn't it? 
And if you look at the other words that are used to describe the rapture, it just reinforces that point. Uh, what else have we got here? We've got clouds. Isn't that interesting? Clouds. Those who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds. That's where we meet the Lord. Uh, now, somebody might say, well, the Lord is going to come back to Wales then. If there are clouds, well, no, you've got to read these things biblically. What is the word cloud signifying if we know our Bibles, especially our Old Testaments? The cloud was the Shekinah glory, wasn't it? The known and felt presence of God that filled the temple when Moses completed the building of the tabernacle, the priests couldn't go in because the glory of the Lord filled the building or the tent. And the same happened when Solomon built the temple. Uh, the glory of the Lord, the Shekinah cloud of glory filled it and the priests weren't able to enter. Another Old Testament occurrence, Elijah being taken straight to heaven on the chariots, that fiery chariots. And what was surrounding the chariot? The cloud of the glory of the Lord. And then when Jesus was transformed on the Mount of Transfiguration, when John, James and Peter had that vision of the glory of Christ, uh, what happened? A cloud came down. It wasn't just any cloud. It was the cloud of glory. So what is this? It's glory. I'm not interested in how I'm going to be raptured, are you? What should thrill our souls is that will be glory for me. What, what hymn says that? When I stand on that beautiful shore, but surely it'll be glory for us if we're still alive when he returns, that is. It's only those who are still alive when Jesus comes back who will be raptured. So what would you prefer if I'm allowed to ask, being in the procession of the saints or being those still on earth, not having to go through death, wouldn't that be lovely? And being beamed up into the cloud of his glory. Isn't that something to encourage ourselves regarding? And then there's something else here, air. We will meet the Lord in the air. What is that? When I was a geography teacher, I used to teach meteorology. And there are different levels in the air. Um, you've got the stratosphere and all of these other things. But what is the air here? This is an interesting term. Again, we've got to know our Bibles. In Ephesians 2... Paul talks about the prince of the power of the air. Who is he referring to? He's referring to the devil. So the air here is what one commentator called the suburb of earth. So we're not thinking of the stratosphere so much. We're thinking of this uh, in-between place between heaven and earth. It is the place where Satan at this moment is ruling not absolutely, he is given a leash by the sovereign God. But this is his realm. It is the place where the spiritual battle is occurring. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. Where are they? They are in the air. But what is happening during the rapture? What is happening during the return of Christ? 
Oh, the air has been cleared of the devil. The devil now is given permission to roam this earth, and especially in the air. But when Jesus Christ returns, it's going to be total victory. The devil is going to be thrown into the lake of fire forever. And the air is going to be clear. The spiritual battle is going to be won. And so we are going to meet him in the place of conquest in the air. And it's not secrets. Everybody's going to see it. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds. Jesus Christ is coming back on the clouds, isn't he? And every eye shall see him. Other scriptures say that. And when we who are left behind are caught up, we are meeting him in the clouds, in the air. Everybody will see this. How is that possible? I don't know. <laughs> I don't understand. Do you? One of the greatest minds to have written on Thessalonians is Beale. So it's worth reading what Beale says. I don't know if you agree with him, but it's useful. The old world reality will be ripped away and the dimensions of the new eternal reality will appear along with Christ's presence. And this is the illustration. Just as one can lay flat a map of the whole world and see it all at one glance, so Christ will appear and he will be able to be beheld by all humanity. We know every eye will see. Every eye will see Jesus and his saints. Every eye will see the church that is left behind, often persecuted when the Son of Man returns. Shall he find faith on the earth? Every eye will see the church vindicated. Every eye will see these despised people being promoted to the top table. Every eye will see not just Jesus judge the world, but even believers judge the world. That's astounding. You will judge the world one day. So that's the third point. I'm just skimming through these. Rapture. Rapture. Isn't it right to uh, use the word rapture as um, I think Paul translated in the hymn this morning? The word transport was translated to rapture. Doesn't it just lift your soul? To think that one day I will meet my Lord. One day I will be with him. And then the final point. Reunion. Reunion. So it shall be forever with the Lord. We'll meet again. So what is this reunion? Well, to begin with, it's the reunion of those who have died with those who are left behind. What a reunion that will be. Think of Jeremy. And I don't know how many of you would have known Anita Dick. Anita, just to name two from the last week or so. We will meet them again. Will we recognize them? 
Well, they'll be in new bodies, as we will be. Reunion of those who have died with those who are left behind. But then it gets even better, doesn't it? There is a reunion of body and soul. Because those who have already died in Christ will be raised and they will have new bodies. And those of us who are left behind with these old bodies, that will be transformed in an instant when we're beamed up. Once we reach the air and the clouds, we will no longer have our old bodies. We will have a new body. I'm thinking here of the film Superman. Have you seen uh, the clip in the film where Superman uh, needs to change quickly? He's Clark Kent's. Uh, wearing Clark Kent's clothes, and there's an emergency. And so he needs to change quickly. So he goes into a telephone box. And the next minute he comes out, not as Clark Kent, but as Superman. Now we may smile, but there is an element of truth in that, isn't there? We are at the moment wearing Clark Kent's uh, bodies. We're, We're just ordinary people. We're just fallen, sinful people. But in a moment... We will be transformed into supermen. Better than superman, we will have the resurrection body that Jesus had. So, reunion of body and soul. And then reunion of heaven and earth. When God created this world perfect, heaven and earth were in harmony. But the fall broke that. And on that day, this old order will be dissolved and there'll be a new heaven and a new earth. And the greatest reunion is what? The reunion between you and me and Jesus Christ. Absent from the Lord. That's our position at the moment. I know he is with us. I know that he's promised never to leave us or forsake us, to be with us wherever we go. But while we're in the body, we are not face to face with Jesus. We're absent physically. But on that tremendous day, we will be reunited physically. Uh, If you look at the words here, uh, let me just quote. Verse 14. The dead in Christ... They will come with him. Can you see that in verse 14? The dead in Christ will come with him. And then if you look a little further down, uh, we have uh, Christians living, verse 16, will be caught up with him. And then what is our outcome for eternity? Forever with the Lord. So the emphasis here is the reunion between us as individuals, but more so us as a church with not just one another, but with our Lord and Saviour. And nothing will break that communion. No wonder Paul ends this section with the words, encourage, comfort one another with these words. Paul wasn't writing to tickle people's academic interest. Paul wasn't dealing with these things because it was a controversial matter. He wanted to uh, comfort, to inspire these believers who were struggling, even with opposition that was going to become persecution who were grieving the loss of loved ones, and he wanted them to have such a vision of that momentous event that they couldn't help but talk about it. 
Uh, there's a famous letter from the... Twi- uh, 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 not the 20th. I can't read my notes. From the 2nd century. An Egyptian lady had lost her son. He died. And so another Egyptian lady writes to her, and she'd also lost her son. And these are famous words. You'll see why I'm reading them. And this is what she said to comfort this grieving lady. But nevertheless, against such things, one can do nothing. In the face of her loss, in the face of the death of her son, all she can say is, nevertheless, against such things, you can't do a thing. And then she goes on to say, therefore, comfort one another. Farewell. My, where's the comfort? It's a bit like a non-Christian funeral service, isn't it? Where's the comfort? I did it my way. Where's the comfort? You did it your way. You couldn't deal with death. Where's the comfort? Who wants to live forever? Where's the comfort? My heart shall go on. Where's the comfort? There's complete difference in a Christian's funeral, isn't there? That resurrection word, just one word. That note, just one note of victory. Comfort and encourage one another. And we are going to find ourselves these days, because the world is no longer Christianized. So even when we have funerals here, we will find ourselves with situations where people choose non-Christian songs. I think, Andy, you do this, I've done this. What an opportunity to quote back the words of no comforts, to make people realize our only Hope and comfort in life and in death is in Jesus Christ. Aren't you glad? And then, as I come to a conclusion, this is a sure and a certain hope, isn't it? When we will be burying the mortal remains of Jeremy, death isn't going to have the last word. Death You're swallowed up in victory. Death, where is thy sting? Grave, where is thy victory? Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. I've got some notes as I come to a conclusion. Forever life, forever light, forever love, forever peace, forever rest, forever joy. But none of these compare with forever with the Lord. What is a shepherd without his sheep? What is a bridegroom without his bride? What is the head without the body? What is a saviour without those whom he saved? What is a redeemer without those who have been redeemed? The amazing thing is, even though Jesus Christ the Lamb is all the glory, 
he must have his church to be complete. Those of us who are unmarried, we understand what marriage is all about. Because listen, human marriage is the shadow. The substance is the marriage of the church to Jesus Christ. And you know what that day will be? It will be the marriage supper. It will, it will be the reception. We will be sitting at the high table. All of you will be sitting at the high table. That's where the bride is. The bride isn't at some side table. Can I put it like this? Uh, again, it's the Greek. Forever with. The word is not meta. Meta means same place as. The word is soon, which means intimately with. So intimate that you are intertwined with. And without going into too much detail, the fact that a married couple become one flesh makes that obvious, doesn't it? Uh, Jesus said, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. Have you seen a mansion? I told you before, I used to live in a mansion because it was a special school and my dad was a head teacher. Uh, have you seen in a mansion the gatehouse? They, they make nice houses these days, don't they? The gatehouse. Wouldn't it be good to live in the gatehouse? You're not going to live in the gatehouse. You're going to be a bit closer. Uh, when we were living in the mansion, we were living in the servant quarters. They were really nice. But you're not going to be living in the servant quarters. Do you know where you're going to be? You're going to be with the master. You're going to be in the big house with a big man, if I can call him that. And we're going to be so taken up by him that everything else will just fade well, there we go. Comfort and encourage one another with these things. Life is short and uncertain. Don't know how long any of us have got left. But encourage yourself with the fact that there's a destination and that is absolutely certain. And we are going to be reunited one day. I was thinking, preparing this message, the word for congregation, synagogue. This is going to be the great congregation, the great synagogue. Hasn't this church seen blessing? Especially in the 60s and 70s, you really had a visitation. This place was packed. God has been so good in allowing people to go from this church, not just to other churches in Cardiff, but all over the world. Now, I'm using my imagination now. Think, if everybody who has gone from this church, I'm thinking of everybody now, if those who've moved to other parts of the country, if those who have uh, gone away from the Lord, your children, uh, if those who have left us, uh, that's part of church life, imagine if everybody came back. Wouldn't that be amazing? Imagine that congregation. Well, think of the gathering in heaven. Forever with the Lord. The great congregation. It's amazing. One day, we, we, we won't have to practice. 
we will know all the words. And you know what? They are worthy. Is the Lamb. The Lamb is all the glory in Emmanuel's land. I'll finish there. We've got communion. What's, what's our next hymn? Is it forever? It is forever with the Lord. Amen. So let it be. Life from the death is in those words. So it's 809.
So, Father, we just thank Thee for a sure and a certain hope of eternal life forever with the Lord, that all the promises are yes and amen in Jesus Christ. And help us, O God in heaven, to encourage one another with these wonderful truths. In Jesus' name, amen.